This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you who've either become patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow or by using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links. Hey, this is Stephen Raddy McFarlane, one of the biggest nerds in the world, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 279... We're going there and back again as we review The Adventures of Middle-Earth, Loremaster's Guide. And joining me for this episode, it should surprise no one, it's the biggest Middle-Earth fan I know and a fellow Tome Show host, Jeff Wynn from the Appendix N podcast, where they look at the classic stories that inspired D&D. Jeffrey, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. And also joining us uh, is Lewis Brinton, a longtime contributor to Appendix N and occasionally makes it out to join us on these other shows as well. Welcome back to you, sir. Thanks for having me on again, man. I appreciate it. And lastly, we have a new guest, someone who randomly emailed behind the DM screen uh, and mentioned Middle Earth, uh, the setting in their email, and then just by serendipity got invited to pop on to this review like the next day. So everybody welcome the newcomer, James Carruthers. Hi everyone! Thank you. So it's exciting. We get two two uh, old hats and 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 then the new one to, to freshen us all up and, and keep us on our toes. Dreams right. can come true. Yeah, they can. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, in this episode, we are talking about adventures in Middle Earth: The Lore Master's Guide. Uh, a licensed 5th edition D&D product set in the Middle-Earth setting, uh, the world of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's written by Cubicle 7, who have been working sort of in the Middle-Earth license for years. Uh, and uh, they also wrote a player's guide, the, the Adventures of Middle-Earth player's guide, that we reviewed a few months back. So you should uh, definitely pop back and check that out over at uh, thetomeshow.com. Before we jump into the discussion, I just want to encourage everybody to head over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show to consider if if what we do here is perhaps worth a dollar a month. Uh, if it is, we would love your support uh, and all of our patrons like Doug Palmer and Mark uh, get an early peek at what we're working on as well as get to answer some questions that help shape future episodes of the show. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Or if that's not your thing... I know you're buying stuff on Amazon and DMs Guild, so why not head on over there following the links from our site? We get a small cut, where you, whereas you get the exact same experience and the exact same prices. And, you know, if you're going shopping anyway, why not help us out at the same time? Okay, into it now. Now, we talked a few months ago about the uh, Player's Guide, which is full of Middle-Earth 5th edition player options. Uh, this book is for DMs, although they call them lore masters uh, for, for the setting or for this version of, of D&D, right? Uh, it's setting, it's how to run a Middle-Earth game, it's all that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to be up front again, just like last time. Uh, I usually play host and reviewer, but this time I'm just hosting. I am not the reviewer here. Those These three uh, gentlemen with me, they're the experts. So we're going to let them do most of the talking, and I'm just going to ask questions. Sound like a plan? I accept your terms, sir. All right. Mm-hmm. Very good. So do, you, do you have a copy of it, Jeff? I don't. No. Oh, okay. As, so you. Mm-hmm. I, I with uh, with all the things I do and getting a PhD, uh, this is this is a couple of products that I just couldn't make the time for. So. Understandable. That's all right, man, Jeff. You just keep asking the questions and looking pretty. You got so that, it covered. That's my job, right? I'm, I'm just here to look pretty. 
<laughs> so so I, I summed up the, the book briefly as sort of the DM version of the Middle Earth sort of setting book and uh, that it's largely setting as, as well as like advice on how to how to run a Middle Earth game. Um, does that concept basically sum up the book or is there more to it that, that I need to know about? Uh, you're, you're basically correct. There's there's about 40 pages of setting material. Um, there's, I think, the, the, really the only two essential rules uh, contributions to the game that are in here are a, a bunch of monsters and uh, some some more specific rules for magic items and artifacts and and, and how the GM can uh, create his own his own magic items and and artifacts and the rest of it is a whole lot of ad, advice. I think one thing you could say you you asked if there was more to it than that, Jeff, and I think I think conversely you might say there's less to it. Um, mm. it's, uh, my, my first impression was that, um, it's, it's, uh, rather short. Um, I think they could have put a lot more in it. It's only 150 pages mm. compared to the, uh, 50, 5e Dungeon Master's Guide, for example, which is over 300. Mm-hmm. And with, with mm. only 150 pages, if it's, if there's a lot of, you know, so you said there's like some 40 pages of setting, I imagine it's not a very extensive look at Middle Earth as a whole total setting so so what does that setting piece right. look like well it's very much aimed at the wilderland area um the uh, the player's guide set it up this way where it's assuming that your default setting is the wilderland area of the world and it's also kind of assuming that you're going to be um basing it in or around lake town uh, the newly rebuilt lake town five years after the end of the hobbit and so yeah it's just covering that little stretch of what Middle Earth is. So yeah, they're, they're they're not explicitly saying so, but it it seems like they're just adapting every single book in their other Middle Earth line, the the One Ring role playing game. And the first the first product for the One Ring role playing game was a a slipcase which had a player's guide and a lore master's guide. And for the fifth edition version of the player's guide, they needed to add, you know, D20 style classes. Mm-hmm. But for the lore master's guide, I don't think they really needed to add much of anything except for, you know, larger stat blocks for monsters. Um, so that's that's what what you got. You got you got an adaptation of of a of a book for a for a previous system and i i think it it shows through in some places yeah. hmm. and jeff when you own that stuff too don't you the cubicle seven stuff uh i own i own some of it i bought the nice uh slip cover uh box set because i mean it's just a nice thing to thing to own um and I, i've got some of the hardcover setting books too just because i mean they're they got nice maps in them they got good setting information they got nice art in inside so yeah sure and are those first two books focused on wilderland just like these first two books are yeah well i mean the the one ring the the one ring role-playing game even like has a subtitle on the cover i think it's it's adventures over the edge of the wild like like the 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 marketing and the packaging of the one ring role-playing game tells you that the core experience of this product is you're you're playing uh, east of the Misty Mountains, in and around Mirkwood Forest, 
you know, after after Bilbo's adventure, but before Frodo's ad- adventure. And other books that have come out have been set in other locations in other years, but still still in that same same time period between the between the Hobbit and the Lord of of the Rings. Um, but Adventures in Middle Earth, I mean, the title is Adventures in in Middle Earth. It's not Adventures in Mirkwood Forest. Mm-hmm. Like there's, if 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 you were just picking up this this game. Uh, not just this book, but this, but this game, and not not knowing the history behind it, you you might be sort of confused and disappointed as to why there's not everything in 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 here. Yeah, because yeah. it definitely sounds like it's intended to to run you through a very specific sort of Middle Earth game. But if you're expecting mm-hmm. to if you're expecting to buy these books and be able to you know run all over Middle Earth and 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 do everything that you that you've read about in novels or whatever. Um, and that these books are going to help you do that. That's going to be a fairly limited experience. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just taking a look at the at the monster section. There's a ton of orcs, and there's some trolls and some wolves, but there's there's no mention of Nazgul. There's no mm-hmm. undead. There's no wizards or or any of the more you know, out there un- unusual things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really zoomed in. In fact, if I remember right, the next release for this for this series is actually called um, Adventures in Middle Earth colon Wilderland Adventures, which is like a, a set of story arcs mm-hmm. for uh, also set in the Wilderland area. So that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's and that, they pushed that all their chips in right a, now. Yeah, and, and that that I mean the 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 very next product they released in in the one ring line after after the core uh product was a series of adventures set in in Merkwitz. So it, se- it seems like they're following a pattern of adapting all of their one ring products into 5e products which i mean if i were the the president and ceo of cubicle 7 that's certainly what i would do because that's i mean that's money in your in your pocket um it's just a question of how well they're going to do the adaptation Sure. Yeah, I don't have a particular problem with it. I think it's fine that they're doing it that way. Um, I wish the lore master's guide had come out simultaneous with the player's guide, but other than that, it's a good product. Yeah, it definitely seems like if if that's the the plan, then the like I'm not saying that conversion and adaptation from one system to another system is easy, uh, and certainly there's more content that that ha- that it seems like they're trying to put into it and whatever. Uh, but it seems like it's a long time in between products if if they're just doing conversions. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially for the fluff stuff. I get it if crunch takes a little longer, but the fluff type stuff you would think would be pretty much just copy-paste go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Cubicle 7, I mean, they're they're a pretty small company, so, um, I mean, I can I can understand, you know, long times between, between products. Um, but I, I don't know. It's yeah, it, it the the uh, the the time between the first the, the player's book and now the lore master's book uh, is it um, is it that much longer than the time between the five e player's handbook and the five e dungeon master's guide? Yeah, I think it was a couple those months. Was like, yeah, yeah but, it was. It was. Watsy had all those books done and and released them one one at least one a month, right? Yeah, I feel oh, okay. like the the player's handbook for 5e came out in 
August or September of 2014, and then the uh, the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual was next, and the Dungeon Master's Guide came out in late November or early December, didn't it? Of that same year. I it was yeah. De- yeah, it was delayed, and it was in, in December, I believe. Yeah, so. maybe. Yeah. It's also well, twice maybe, as long. Maybe, uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this this sounds like uh, it would be something to ask those those Cubicle Seven folks mm-hmm. about if you could uh, get one of them on here for an I interview. Should, I should, yeah, try to make that happen. Yeah, you know, if anybody from Cubicle Seven is listening, shoot me an email: thetomeshow at gmail dot com. Yeah, I'd love to hear them talk more about it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very hungry for more information about what they're up to with this. Yeah. And it could be that they're just a, a small little team, and and so it's you know, and they've got their day jobs and whatever. So I, I mean, I don't know their mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean the I mean the 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 book it it itself is I mean it's it's gorgeous like all of their their Middle Earth Earth products have 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 been the the art's great. Um, I, I'm I'm going to ask if if James and Lewis read the uh, setting information because I just kind of skipped over it because I know it all already. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yes. Yep, I I read it all. And did it um, did it in, inspire you? Did it did it give you a sense of like what it's like to run a game in this setting? How did how did it make you feel? Yeah, I liked it. I uh, I thought it was helpful. I mean, it's it's still only a page or two on each area, um, but it's helpful. And in particular, what I liked is with pretty much every area, if I remember right, they have a little uh, box for adventure seeds. Mm-hmm. Like right now I'm looking at adventure seeds for Dale. And uh, there's three mm-hmm. different possible ideas on page 13 for things you could do out of Dale. And then adventure seeds for Erebor on the next page and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that's very helpful and very evocative because that's what I, as a DM, I need that kind of stuff. I need that first little push off the cliff and then my creative juices get going, but I have a little harder time. I think some people are a lot better at weaving something together from nothing than I am, but I need that little pebble to start mm-hmm. the landslide in my brain. Th- those Adventure Seeds uh, sidebars are peppered throughout the book, and uh, and I also thought that that was um, very helpful and a, and a great idea. Um, pertaining to the, the setting section in particular, um, I, I thought that it that it was well written and thorough. I I thought that it was uh, a little long about Lake Town. I, I felt like we learned a lot about Lake Town already in uh, the adve- in the player's guide, um, and this this expanded on that some more still too. Um, and th- they definitely provided everything you need to start your adventure there and 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 have that as a as a home base for for the beginnings of uh, of, a, of a campaign. Um, but I'm not sure how ins- uh, inspired I felt by Lake Town. I, it, it seems a little bit, I don't know, generic or something. Or um, it also seems uh, kind of. I wonder if it was too large for for the for the very beginnings of a campaign. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like I wondered what what would it be like if the, the if you started your game in Bree instead, in, in a much more smaller. Con- Contained village kind of setting where mm-hmm. you could uh, branch out and explore from there in a in a more more like a first level kind of way, so to speak. Well, not to not to get in a in a Middle Earth nerd debate, but I would I would say that Bree is probably about the same size and level of 
cosmopolitanality as <laughs> as Lake Town. We're gonna really pretend that that's a word. I, I stand corrected <laughs> on that. They're, they're they're about equal, like in in terms of like how big they are and their connection to places for adventure, in my opinion. But if you're if you're not excited by the Lake Town setting, or or this part of the world, then, then you're not going to be ex- excited to to read about. It. I I also thought Bree would be a much better place to start an ad- adventure camp campaign. Um, yeah. Yeah. One one of the things that that my appendix N uh, co-host uh, Jeff Wickstrom said uh, when I when I was was talking to him uh, about it is they're they're very good at reminding you what it is that makes the Middle Earth setting special, like things things that that you that you might might forget and not remember on your own. Hmm. Um, I I noticed that like. They make lots of lots of references to to dwarven toys, um, just to just to give just to give like like the dwarves of Erebor that extra bit of character. You know, there's there's like one throwaway line in the Hobbit about how the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain used to make the most uh, wonderful toys, and you just kind of imagine these these wind up toys that would I don't know light up or something. But like they just they just keep popping up in in uh, in. Um, in the in the, in the setting fluff and, and and you go oh yeah these these dwarves aren't the dwarves of Mithril Hall you know they just you know they, they don't they don't just drink beer and you know clang their shields together they're they're different guys they're not stereotypical like proto Vikings yeah that's right they the uh, that is that is something and probably the most helpful thing in this book for me was. Just all the little cues of here's how to do this in a Middle Earth way, you know. Um, they were that's that kind of stuff's on almost every page, and I thought it was very very helpful. And uh, I'm especially eager to talk about the magic stuff when we get to that um, about the Middle Earth style of magic. I, I would echo all that we too. Can, I think it does that very well to really hammer home to the reader that. Uh, uh, th- this is what the atmosphere is. This is what uh, the, the conditions are like in in Middle Earth. And you might be used to something else, but this is Middle Earth, and this is Middle Earth, and and it it repeats it in. Um, well, I was going to say heavy-handed, but it but it's not it's not heavy-handed because it's not too much. Uh, it really is uh, needed and helpful, and I think it does it in a very good way. I, I'd like for a moment to circle back to. Um, something touched on just very, very briefly earlier in the conversation, and that's the, the physical quality of the book. Um, I, I just have to gush for a moment about the art. I, I love, love, love the art in the book. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, I, I just drool over page after page of the art. I really enjoy it. Um, I, I think the art also contributes very strongly to the Middle Earth atmosphere that they're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the the actual um, construction uh, of it and the and the page and paper and I think is all very good quality. Um, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You have a physical copy? Yes. <laughs> How did you get a physical copy? I it's only out in in PDF. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I Jeff, I saw that people were just starting to get them mm-hmm. in hand who had pre-ordered it the, in the past oh, seven I am to ten so days. Jealous. Yeah, James, yeah. you said yeah, you, you said so you just got yours, yeah. right? Yes, I, I got mine uh, late 
last week, and uh, and I I've just been pouring over it ever since it came in the mail. Yeah. Yeah, James is one of the lucky ones. I'm I'm still doing the PDF myself, but James, I'm really glad you brought you circled us back around to that because I wanted my turn to gush about how beautiful this book is too. <laughs> and I, again, I don't have a physical copy of it, but the art is just over the top, wonderful and very evocative. And man, there's a there's a picture near the end of the ring wraiths. And yes. Man, I was a, yes. Man, when I was a kid. I read The Lord of the Rings at a pretty young age, and the ring wraith scared the heck out of me when I was a kid. And, uh, man, this this picture actually gives me the ghiblies. I'm looking at it right now. It's just amazing. What's the, what's the page? What's the page? Uh, so I can, page I can number 143. So, so, so there's a, a stunning picture of ring wraiths, but there's no ring wraiths in the book? No stats. Nope. Yeah, no there, stats. Not, there, not, not even like, like a paragraph on, hey, here's how to do ring wraiths. Are, are they yeah. mentioned? Is it, is it like this this thing that that you know? There's rumor of them running around or anything? Not really. They're mentioned in the timeline. Uh, there's there's yeah. a timeline given early on that kind of talks about all the big happenings going on. Um, but you know the the default setting of this is five years after the Hobbit, right. so they're not running about in the canon during that time. Yeah. See, and and the. The 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 thing is like the the ring race would be like the obvious go to for like a, a campaign and end boss because mm. you can I mean you can kill these guys again and again and they just go back to Mordor and they re, you know reform so you can do all kinds of stories with with them um, I mean my my complaint about all, you know the the one ring products and the adventures in middle earth products is they don't really give you much to do in terms of ec- excitement like you're expected to just kind of explore and build relationships and negotiate and uh, be be basically merchants who who occasionally run into into orcs and and find lost mm. lost treasure kind of um, we're like they could really ramp it up and make it a l- whole lot more exciting, and they they choose to go a very safe route. Which yeah, I mean, um, I find that when there's settings like Middle Earth um, that there that have large epic stories already told in them, and you're handling them as a game product, there's oftentimes one of two ways to go with that, right? And one of them is keep your stories low key because the stories that already exist have already kind of sucked all the air out of the room. Uh, or say, forget all of that, and we're just going to go ahead and blow up the world and do our own thing. But you know, recognize that it's still that setting. And you know, I, I have the same issues with like Dragonlands, right? Uh, sure. And, and the only time I really have a good time with it is when I say, you know what? Fine. That's that's the official canon version of the War of the Lands. But we're going to do our own thing. Let's go. You know. And sure. and I can I can argue that if you I can if if, if like there there's enough gulfs of time. Where, where stuff is not happening in Middle Earth, mm. where you really could blow up the world and enough time would pass that it would just come back together in time for the story as you know it to take take place. But um, that's that's a debate I should that's that's probably not uh, well I, <laughs> a debate I, I, I should have. <laughs> well, I'm not going to disagree with you because you know much more lore than I do. I hear you on your concern about the about the 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 tone of the style of the kind of adventure that uh, is uh, portrayed in the book. Um, 
I, I can imagine getting that from it, but I, I personally didn't get that from it as much. Um, I, I felt pretty good about the uh, the the call to adventure from uh, King Bard and all of the different kinds of adventure threads that um, sort of peel off from there and the different kinds of patrons that you could uh, uh, meet. And then the, uh, the, the Wilder Land, uh, although it's... Um, contained area for for middle earth and, and and i think i think that's actually a wise choice to to start off uh learning how to play in a in a more contained area there there's tons of stuff in wilderland to uh to explore um i i'm in a play-by-post game i haven't i don't my um my home game uh, tabletop game is uh is doing Curse of Strahd and some other stuff right now. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. probably come to this at some point when I'm ready to run it later. But I am in a play-by-post game uh, of Adventures in Middle Earth and uh, just exploring the the long marshes below Lake Town and uh, having you know we're on the trail of some bandits and having come across uh, some kind of tentacle monster in the swamp and uh, some other wolves and things. It it's uh, it it's been I, I would say it's been good adventure and and I think that there's enough. Uh, germs of ideas peppered through the book mm-hmm. that, that you can glom onto them and 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 and, and make a good game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it just a, it is going to have a different feeling, and I think the way it's written, it's a little less fighty and a whole lot less magicy than your standard package D and D stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's that. I kind of have to retrain my brain when mm-hmm. I'm as a guy who runs a very nearly weekly D and D game. I have to kind of retrain my brain when I'm in these books to mm-hmm. not look for the fireball spell to come blasting in from the side. So, so speaking of magic, uh, Lewis, I, I know you, you wanted to talk about the, the uh, magic section. They, they, they do, um, they do go so far as to, to, to uh, give you like, like a list of spells from the D and D five E player's handbook that would that would work appropriately in Middle Earth if you just wanted to, like have it if if like if you just want wanted to have the the wizard class and and the cleric class from 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 the player's handbook in your in your game. Um, yeah, I was they, really pleased. They've gone so far as to yeah. Yeah, I was pleased with that. I think that was a the the whole chapter on magic was helpful. First of all, to because I, I, I remember th- spending a lot of time thinking after reading the player's guide about, okay, how do you describe magical effects in this world? Because uh, the word that they keep using here in this book, and it's the right word, is subtle. You know, um, uh, magic in Middle Earth is much more subtle. We don't we don't throw fireballs out of our fingertips and blow stuff up. We set pine cones on fire and make kind of fire grenades mm. with them. Um, and uh, they... The magic that happens in Middle Earth world is a lot more manipulation of what's already there than conjuring stuff from zero and teleporting and things like that. And uh, so that this chapter is very helpful for describing, kind of putting some guardrails on how we should think about magic in Middle Earth. And uh, and like Jeff said, I was very pleased to see a a list of spells from Five E that would make more sense and still could be done in a in a Middle Earth flavored way mm-hmm. that would make sense, um, and uh, and I liked the fact that they said, and if you wanted to bring in some of these 
casting classes. You know, they they suggested druids and bards are a lot, a lot more wired for Middle Earth type stuff mm. than wizards and clerics would be. And uh, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of good advice about that. I really like that. So if I play, a, if I use the the suggestions that are here, and I play a wizard, um, does that mean I'm one of the Astari, or are we adding a, a whole new thing to to Middle Earth by adding wizards that aren't you know hanging out with Gandalf? Yeah, it'd be it'd have to be kind of a a semi custom class, just mm-hmm. in the sense that the Middle Earth book doesn't give it to you. I mean, I, I haven't considered the question: Could you just take a five E wizard and transfer them over here, just using this smaller list? I imagine mm-hmm. you could, but um, surely there they couldn't be an Astari. Maybe it's some little junior hedge wizard type guy who has stumbled into figuring a few things out about how the magic world works, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's 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 one of those ask your GM type of type of things. I mean, they they uh, they mentioned that that the mouth of Sauron learned sorcery from Sauron, so that's an example of a mortal learning arcane hmm. magic. So, like you could, you know, Tolkien didn't say that there weren't mages running around casting spells, but we we just didn't run run, run into them. But you're if you're if you're if you're going for authenticity, you're you're better off sticking to the classes in the player's guide. Well I mean I guess arguably um elves some of the elves like Galadriel could have been spellcasters um and not be mm-hmm. wizards wizards, right? So So there's some yeah, precedent expect- for that. Yeah, and especially because of the way the nature of magic seems to work in Middle-earth, I thought they did a really good thing of describing it as a lot of magic that we see in the stories is based on either internal authority or delegated authority, not figuring out how to work the weave and cast the spell because you figured out the laws of physics of the Forgotten Realms world. But it's more just because of what you are you know how to do this, or this has been delegated to you by a higher power, and so you're able to do these things. And that was a very helpful yeah, little Gandalf, insight. Gandalf can Gandalf can do what what he does because he has per- permission from the powers that gov- that govern the world. Yeah. So. I, I I very much agree with uh, all, all that you guys are saying about how the uh, description of magic in Middle Earth is. Um, so so helpful in that chapter to to make you understand why it's more of a, a low magic setting and that if you introduce it to be uh, very very careful to keep that flavor um, but I think Jeff's question uh, about you know so what kind of class do you apply these spells to then is is still a good a good question that that I think it's a little unfortunate that they didn't try to answer that maybe a little bit better they they gave even just the existence of that list of spells in the lore master's guide helps to um, uh, show you to demonstrate the the flavor of the magic because you can see just you know if you're familiar with the five e spells and you look at that list it's like okay yeah right I, I get how that's part of the flavor that's being uh, advised here um, but which classes would cast those spells from the the player's guide uh, isn't isn't even a isn't even a uh, a question or a thought, uh, and, and I, I guess the designers have no intention whatsoever for those classes to cast any magic, perhaps except as mm. you know as the feats presented in that book are. Um, but it would have been interesting to see an option for uh, how the scholar might learn something, uh, or you know, or, or the um, 
forget the, the the bard equivalent class, how it could pick up maybe this or that, some some kind of uh, an option for applying magic to the the classes that they've designed. I think that would have been helpful. Yeah, and you know the 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 whole bard thing fits so well in this world. They are constantly singing and doing poetry. Yeah. And uh, so the, just the idea of doing a bard, a mm. what we would think of as a 5e bard in Middle-earth could make a decent amount of sense. And if you did druids, maybe maybe uh, as a DM, I, I would write up a, one of the classes would be Disciples of Radagast or something mm. like that. You yeah. know, um, the Radagast has some interns and they've picked <laughs> up a few things. And, uh, yeah, well, and now Tolkien, Tolkien mentioned that uh, the 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 blue the the blue wizards who fled to the east and south may have founded uh, magic cults or or other such mysterious things. So mm-hmm. it's hmm? yeah, that's a good point. So there's room for these things, um, even if it means you're you're tweaking the the sense and the and the feelings of the saying. Is is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, they they wisely advise that if you do some of this, that you make sure you also buff up the enemies that you're facing. Sure. Because you know, because the orcs don't have a warcaster, you know, or something like that. Um, so you I might. Think, I think most those. of these. I think I think most of these spells would be good things to stick on an on an item rather than attached to it to a person because we mm. we know that Middle Earth is is, is full of magic. Uh, uh, trinkets like you know horns and rings and cloaks and other other things. So that that may be a more uh, world world appropriate way to work some of these spells into into the game. That's a really really good point. Uh, I, I and I'd forgotten that they actually mentioned that in that chapter is that um, even though there might not be casters the way we're used to in other games the. The, the magic is inherent in in objects sometimes, and and that that can be mm-hmm. a way to have it in the in your adventure. Yeah, yeah. Or, and or, wasn't or it even tie it to a. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. Or or you could you could even tie it to like a like a special like uh, magical lo- location that you that you have to find. Like you can you can only cast uh, a a divination spell. You know, if you're standing on this mountaintop in the middle of these uh, elven ruins while you're holding a lens up to your eye, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, 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 that would that would make it a lot more thematic. You can, you can only read the moon letters on a on a starry night under under a crescent moon while you're standing in Elrond's garden. Sure, right, yeah, that's that's right there for us. That's right, yeah. And what I started to say is. I thought it was also interesting mentioning the magic items thing that they, they give a very helpful section about how you should think about magic items in this world. Cause again, that's where the most blatant magic happens. It feels like is it's in these items, um, certain rings that we will not discuss further and, and things like that. Um, that yeah, are there's absolutely much. nothing about, about magic, magic rings. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, but it was a really interesting thing. They talked about designing magic items, put some really helpful rules together for, or guidelines for that, and uh, and even suggesting the idea that some magic items could level with the character. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was a very interesting thought. Yeah, I was I was reading. They, they they basically give you a list of properties that you can assign to magic items, and they they suggest that like you can reveal one approximately every four levels. 
Um, it, it I, I noticed that on, they don't. Sorry, it, it depended on uh, the the the, um, the player's proficiency, I think, uh, which I thought was a clever yeah, way yeah. of doing. That's right. Yeah, but they they I like they they didn't really uh, tell you what what like the relative strength of these powers what were and like some some powers had superior versions of the same power within the same list and like rules as written you could just give the superior version of the, of the power to any player at first first level and there's nothing but common sense to to tell you no right yeah that's right but there is common sense and there's a dm and that's why there's a dm in a game like this right <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think I think it, it, yeah this this game leans heavily on the GM to just kind of figure things out. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that they leave us to figure out that uh, I'd, I'd be curious to hear you guys' thoughts on too, because I I was um, really looking for more guidance on uh, experience to award during the the journey phase or the fellowship phase. Um, and I didn't really find it. It, it was it was just uh, it was pretty abstract, and you know, you, you up to the DM or the roadmaster. yeah, yeah. This I would say this this particular game is is crying out for milestone leveling rather than XP based leveling because they still they do have XP blo- in the or XP uh, things in the stat blocks for the bad guys, but and I haven't seen what a pre written adventure will look like in this world yet. But mm-hmm. you know, I. I I don't anticipate that they're going to go in that direction just from what I've seen so far because they talk about experience points very very infrequently and very loosely it seems mm. like. Yeah, yeah, well I I wonder what you would do for adventures beyond around 6th 6th level or so cuz cuz the monsters don't don't go far beyond that. Mm. And you know That's you've right. got you've got orcs and trolls and spiders. You know. Without, well, without really any powerful supernatural threats like dragons or un, undead, it's it's really hard hard to come up with a challenge. I mean, I, I assume at sixth level, that's when you have to uh, be in the vanguard of the Battle of Five Armies. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so I think seems. very very famously, is like someone you know on some internet forum like proved. With with air quotes that like Aragorn was sixth level in third edition D anD D based on things that he could do. I mean, you know, that's you know, it's that's nerds on 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 an internet forum, but right. it, that that seems about 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 the right level for mm-hmm. you know. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, that's, out, outside that's of Gandalf, point. right? They never seem nobody in the novels ever seems like really powerful, powerful in like a D anD D sense. They never become superhero sort of characters. You know, even when Not when Ar- go back to the Silmarillion. Well, sure, but even but, but even like Aragorn, like he gets real real badass, if you will, like when he has the when he finds the help of of allies, right? He comes in with his ghost mm-hmm. army or whatever. That's when he's he's super badass. Yeah. But it's not because he's doing crazy things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, was- it's because he has the permission and authority to be mm-hmm. to be a badass. You know. Yeah, that's right. Well, I remember thinking as I was reading the stat blocks of the bad guys, I was kind of picturing in my head scenes from the books and the movies and picturing, okay, so it took the party that much time to kill a challenge rating four cave troll. So let's think about what that could mean. What what level were those guys at that time? And I was, you know, because DMs think about ridiculous stuff like that. You know, it's <laughs> um, what we do. Mm-hmm. I, I thought a lot about the monsters. I, I was, um, 
uh, I, I liked seeing the monsters that were here. I, I think the I, I like for the most part the way they presented them. Um, uh, but I I was disappointed that they didn't comment on on more options and and ways to ad- adapt to others because uh, it, it is a fairly limited uh, selection and and if you if you stop to think about it for a minute there's all kinds of great monster like adversaries that you could come across in, in Middle Earth and and uh, you know the, I mean there's there's even the Balrog and the, you know, the whole category of demons does exist mm-hmm. in, in middle earth. And, and you could, uh, one day maybe get a party to a level where they, they you know, a- adventure deep into something like Moria and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. explore the, those things. And, and I, for myself, the way it is right now, I, I would have to turn to the, the existing five E monsters and just kind of wing it, uh, with those. And I, and I'm, I when it comes to running this for my group, I don't know, maybe later in the summer or something, when we get to it later this year, I, I think I'm definitely going to draw on other D and D sources for other monster types because, I, especially for whites and ghosts and undead and the 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 those things are very also atmospheric and and, uh, and important and I think you also need variety. I'm looking at the table of contents because that's available on their website, right? And, and, and am I correct in seeing that there are a total of seven monsters available in the game? That's right, there, seven. There are seven this, categories. Oh, there's, there's, there's orcs, uh, mortar orcs, trolls, and there, there, there's, there's multiple stat blocks within those, those mm. categories. Okay. And yeah. at, the, at the end of, of, the, of the stat block section, there's a whole list of abilities that you can kind of tack on mm-hmm. to a stat block that, that, they, that they say won't won't really raise the monsters CR but we'll just give them extra flavor Make in the and encounter you know like like you yeah. can have a you can have a orc with a whip who says where there's a whip there's a way and when he whips his allies they fight extra hard <laughs> yeah 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 and i thought that was a very neat little tool they had to just kind of customize your monsters and you know well there's all these other orcs but this one is big as a category and that means it gets these mechanical benefits yeah. or uh and they, they have both buffs and nerfs which is cool too you know so uh, one one category is big uh, but another one is clumsy you know another one is coward uh once he's injured he's going to be at disadvantage the rest of the fight you know, uh, and so on. So I really like, there are several pages of these for just little custom fine tuning features. You can stick on the bad guys. Yeah. Cause let's, cause let's face it. If you're playing a, playing a middle earth game, you're going to fight a lot of orcs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and in the non-player character section, does, does it provide any stat blocks for, for you know, the, the, the civilized races, if you will, uh, in terms of oh, like, yeah, there is a there is a whole section of of like townspeople and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm if I'm like fighting a, human bandits or if I get captured by the the elves of Mirkwood or whatever, I have stats for that. Yeah. Let's see. I see farmer. I see warrior, sage, um, singer. Uh, I don't see any elves though. Okay. Um, I see these are all humans as far as I can tell. Outlaw. Yeah. There's an outlaw. There's a ranger. Uh. Oh, no, 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 here's can, an elf you can, lord. You can make them elves by raising their dexterity sure. and lowering yeah. some, but, something else if you yeah. if you really need to. But There are a couple. Yeah, like, I mean, this, uh, 76 and 77, there are a couple elves and dwarves going on. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. 
yeah, I think I think it it just it just goes goes back to you. this. Is, this is a very nice book, but it could have used a little more, mm-hmm. especially since they they they've had so many years between the One Ring and this to think about what else they could put in here. When I was reading it, there was one thing that uh, kind of bugged me in the in the back of my mind, and, and I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on uh, how well do you think the designers. Uh, no fifth edition D and D in order to make this conversion, um, because reading some of the things that they suggest in here sounded like it lacked some playtest or some understanding. Um, so, for example, I, I think there's one place in there where um, uh, if you're if you're fighting in a in a mire or a bog, you gain. Uh, a level of exhaustion um, every other round or something like that. Uh, it would, basically, I, I think it meant that if you were fighting for nine, I think it was every three rounds. Yeah. So if you, if there was a nine round combat, you're you're dead because out of exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's six levels of exhaustion, aren't aren't there? So it would take you eighteen rounds. But um, so, sorry, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I forget, but it, it looked really wonky. That if if you were fighting for like two minutes or less in a in a bog, you're, you'll die of exhaustion. Some of the exhaustion uh, applications seemed really strong to me, um, I, 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 and but I haven't played it enough to really know because there there are ways to counter it. But uh, well, anyway, I, what are your thoughts? Well, James, I think your I, I think your observation is correct in that it seems really hard on the players. I don't think that's by mistake, though. I think they I think they know what they're doing and they mean to do it that way. But like as I've thought about it, as I was reading through this, I thought, okay, there's here's a few places where I would lighten up a little bit because I feel like there are quite a few things in this game that are so hard on the players. Mm. You know, they went real looks, gritty. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I swear they're always they are always going to be walking around with three levels of exhaustion and four shadow points at like all times. <laughs> yeah, it seems like in this game, and and it just it might be a little much, and and the denial of risks and and low level healing that's available. Um, it's yeah, you're you're not allowed to take a short short rest unless you're you're at a at a at a sanctuary. Long a rest, long, right? A long rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. There, the thing is that the thing is set up to be very hard on the player characters. It seems to me, and I think if I get around to running this, I will. I might lighten that up some. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, that that uh, harshness yeah, it, is consistent with the setting, though. Um, yes. But it, I don't is. know that it's consistent with fun gameplay. That's right. That's it a makes great good way to no- talk about. Makes it, better yeah. novels than it does games, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, when I, I was think, reading, yeah, when I was reading about all of the exhaustion, I was I was imagining the rebellion at the table. <laughs> <laughs> what? How can you do that to us? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think the game, the way the game is wired, it's meant to be hard. It's meant to be kind of a slog in that sense, and I don't know that, that will be. As much like Jeff pointed, out, I don't think that'll be as much fun at the table, even if it is a a more quote realistic Middle Earth sim. Yeah, I think I think it's supposed to. 
I think this this game feels like it was it was it was designed by heavily story focused people. The you know the kind of people who would spend, you know, seven hours of an eight hour session describing the journey, and the NPCs you meet, and the weather, and the and the flowers, and then maybe one hour of combat. Well, in fairness, no. that's about that's about how Tolkien worked, anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean. There, there were these, t- there were these small little things though that that kind of bugged me. Where they would talk about, like there, there are all of these um, uh, different kinds of uh, thematic terrain that you can fit in for scenery in a combat. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah. there's a, there are a lot of really good nuggets in there. But one thing they would say over and over again is concerning uh, obstacles, whether it's a the, the the head of a giant statue that's lying on the ground or a fallen tree or something like this. They, they would describe it as taking, it takes uh, your entire move action to get to the top of it, and then from there you've got advantage or whatever. Um, why not just stick with the 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 five e climbing rule, which is you climb at half speed, and you you know if you've got five or ten feet of movement along the log at the top, what's wrong with that? Like, I, w- I wondered why they didn't just use certain default five e uh mechanics for handling some of that stuff it, it seemed like they were making some of it up because maybe they mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure i just wasn't sure it, it seems yeah, it, it, it seems like, it seemed really like they designed it it seemed like it was over designed i think is what it well it's yeah. it's not following a couple of things for sure because i can remember more than one time across these two books that we've reviewed of of minus some things and plus some things to attacks that I don't, and I don't mean plus one weapons, but D&D 5e doesn't really do that. D&D 5e does advantage or disadvantage or straight roll. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. You don't you hard you don't normally get an effect that lets you add plus two to your die roll on this one thing or something like that. You're right. As a, the- as a designer, though, I don't I don't really know how how much you can really really stretch that i mean you know if, if, if everything gives advantage what what more is there to give your players that's right well for, for example i'm just looking at at uh, cliffs for the scenery in combat it, uh, where it says climbers have a minus two to ac when uh when suffering a, a ranged attack uh isn't it just that if you're climbing um you're you people have advantage to target you and uh, if you're if you're climbing to make it, if you have one hand free while climbing, you can you can make an, a, a one-handed attack, but you're at disadvantage. disadvantage yeah, yeah I, I, I like I think it's pretty clear in the five E rules what you can and can't do for climbing, and that and it's just some. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't seem like it would be broken in this situation to to use no, to just no, use the rules. Yeah. No, I, I like. I, I don't think that they've broken anything. Um, certainly not. It just seems. It seems like they overdesigned. They, no, I'm, I'm they, saying. I'm saying the the rules as written for fifth edition. Like I like. There's a lot of areas where it sounds like they've changed the rules to make it more Middle Earthy, right? Um, mm-hmm. But this is a situation oh, okay. where if it, it sounds like you're saying they've changed the rules uh, largely for the sake of changing the rules, and that it doesn't isn't necessary. Is that right? I, I think. Or because that's yeah, that's, that's, that's what it said. I mean, probably more more likely, it's because that's what it said in the One Ring version of this and product, then, and yeah. they just didn't convert. You know, they they didn't bother to 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 make it make it match. Hmm. Yeah, it could be. I'm not familiar with the mechanics for the One Ring, so that could well be the case. 
I mean, if you if you if you, if you want to take take an extra hour for this podcast, I can I can pull my my one ring book <laughs> off the shelf. I can do a page for page com- comparison. I, I am I am and pretty. I, have that much time. I am pretty Happy firm in my desire to be asleep an hour from now. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's now great. now one of the things that that speaking of of doing things in order to make the game more Middle Earthy. Um, this game seems to to, and we got into this with the player's guide. Seems to uh, add these different phases to the game, like the the fellowship mm-hmm. phase and the the was it the adventuring phase and the was it is journey, journey phase, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so yeah. that that's a whole new kind of mechanic laid on top of fifth edition for for this game system. Uh, how well does this book help a lore master or a DM or whatever? Um, do those things like what's the what, what's the advice or, or how much hand holding do they do or is it all pretty clear from the player's guide what do you guys think well I, um, I they advise- they they give you a a lot more ad, advice on how to do journeys um they, they they even give you like a like a how to make your own journey table if you don't want to use the 12 default journey events that they have in the in the player's book um, and they, they they have a little bit more about uh, sanctuaries and like why it's important for fellowships to to open sanctuaries, which which was a thing that we were missing from from the player's book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a few rules things that are frustratingly scattered around this book, like like the exhaustion rules are randomly on page fifty two, and there's like a whole bunch of there's like a few extra undertakings at the end of the. Uh, Lake Town section that you can only do in in Lake Town, but I don't I don't know like I wouldn't think to look for the, for them there. Um, mm-hmm. And undertakings are part of the fellowship phase. Yeah, yeah, they're they're what your what your players do when you split up for the for the winter. Like, do I go? Do I do I train with my sword? Do I go home to my farm and work on my farm? Do I uh, negotiate? trade deals which is something I, I apparently keep thinking happens in this game um <laughs> and that's 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 a weird face uh, to me because that is not in my mind an iconic thing that happens in the books like i don't yeah. from see that my understanding thing. i i think i think it it comes from a game called pendragon ah. and this is just something i heard but mm-hmm. like like the the the, the pendragon game was like an arthurian lore role-playing game and like between adventures like you would go home to your castle and you would you would tend to your to your thief or w- whatever mm-hmm. like it, it was supposed to be like this saga game that took place over over ages so uh it, it's basically like a suggested way to structure your your game you don't have to use the journey rules you don't have to use the fellowship rules uh they they suggest that that your party goes on one adventure uh, a year but you can go on two or four adventures a year that's it's it's up to you yeah and to, to further answer jeff's question they definitely do add some stuff to flesh out both the the fellowship phase and the journey phase uh mm-hmm. my editorial comment which is the same thing i said previously about this is i don't care for the journey phase stuff and i will probably not use it but there is more stuff there for it in this book. And, uh, yeah, the fellowship phase is just a more structured and organized and a little more player-driven downtime thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's fine. Um, and it actually 
for what it is, it's fine. It, it gives more thought to downtime than I would have ever mm-hmm. considered. But I think that might have something to do with the the source material flavor too. In addition to the role playing mechanic that Je- that Jeff Wind just pointed out, as I remember seeing a long time ago, a meme somewhere or another about the outline of a Lord of the Rings story, and it's travel for a month, rest for three months, travel, and then rest for three months. And, you know, we're gonna, it's going to take us a couple weeks to get to Rivendell, but once we're at Rivendell, we're staying there for four months, and then we're going to... And so maybe they're kind of trying to capture that flavor of the wear and tear it puts on the players or on the characters in the story and, and how much recovery they they require. Yeah, but I don't remember yeah, anybody, like, training to... in Lorien or anything. What's that? I don't remember anybody like taking the time to to like do some training and stuff while they were in Lorien or or start a garden or whatever. Yeah, they didn't learn basket weaving while they were right. there. Well, they, they were they were re- recovering from all the uh, injury that that they sustained in in uh, uh, Moria, and they were they were healing shadow points. Right, from, but, but from the in, in terms of the fellowship phase, they weren't doing any of the things that seem to be described in the fellowship phase. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, healing yeah. healing. Healing conditions, healing sh- 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 shadow points are also things that take an entire fellowship phase. Or, sorry, um, is it is it the yeah. fellowship phase? Yeah, fellowship phase. Yeah, yeah. yeah healing, healing, and and re- recovery of of grievous injuries can take an an an, an entire fellowship phase. Oh, um, learning, yeah. learning, learning a virtue can take an entire fellowship phase, and like virtues aren't things like fighting better with your sword um I, I don't have the player's book in front of me to, for a good example but um well there and, there and are I, a lot I don't of even know if, if the rest in lothlorian would be a fellowship phase because that was like a month that that they were there and this book is saying that a fellowship phase is like a season or even yeah. half even half half the year so well that is and that is something this may be the one place that's player friendly rather than player not friendly in this sense is uh with the virtues um every other fellowship phase in the game apparently uh players may take on an undertaking that gives them the chance to get an additional virtue um and so they have access to something like the feat system um although i can't describe what all the virtues are i'm looking for it in the player's book right now here it is. Um, but they, there's a chance for them to develop um, virtues every other time during that. So that's a little buffing mechanism that they can pick up that, again, otherwise, that's about the only pushing the players forward instead of squishing them down thing I see in the game system. And I don't, I don't mean that as a criticism. I just think it's mm-hmm. the, the style, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the um, adding those extra virtues in in the fellowship phase, I I I also thought that helps to make up for the the um, severity of the adventuring. Otherwise, um, the I think I think the game also provides higher armor classes all, all around too. Um, but it, but anyway, re- regarding the fellowship phase, um, when I when I started thinking of it as downtime in in D and D terms, um, I that really helped me wrap my head around it. And, um, I, I, I really actually like the way they've presented the fellowship phase, even though if it may or may not, I guess it can, we can debate uh, how well it matches the story. Um, 
but uh, as a as a as a way of presenting how to run downtime at your table, I, I really like it. I've really sort of uh, um, taken a liking to that one. The um, I really like the the further explanation, as you guys said, also on uh, sanctuaries in this book. I I'm, I'm able to wrap my head around sanctuaries much better with this book now. Um, journeys, I I still want to play them and 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 get a better feel for how journeys mm-hmm. are executed. Uh, it, it doesn't feel entirely smooth to me yet, but I think I think it might just take practice. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It needs to be taken for a spin. See what you yeah. think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Journeys Journeys sounds like it's uh, there. If if you did a lot of skill challenges in in fourth edition, like Journeys sound a lot like skill skill challenges. So do mm. so do audiences. They have, a, they have a whole section on on how to how to run and, and encounters with NPCs that you're trying to negotiate safe passage, you know, through their through, through their lands or whatever. And it's a it's a it's a whole series of of skill checks, and there's a there's a structure to it. Um, right, it's, right. It's something I would I would like to at least try out. Hmm. So so is the audience. Um is that something like, like I'm trying to think of like the defeat of, of Worm Tongue or driving him out uh, of the you know the king's presence or whatever? Is that something that happens in an adventuring phase or is that an audience sort of situation and it's more role played and story fleshed out uh, to 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 include the the more uh, exciting uh, you know events? Yeah, I would say so. I think the. Anytime the players are standing in front of somebody um, trying to convince them to help them or to provide shelter or to join their cause or something like that. So, yeah, I think that would be a case of that. Um, and there, there would be others as well. But, yeah, I think that's a good example of trying to get access to the throne room of the Rohirrim. So it's know. not like the audience thinks uh, – scenes can't be exciting right there, there's all kinds of action and stuff going on uh but you're they're they're drawing on their sort of uh story game elements to to flesh that out and, and make it those things yeah and uh there's there are even uh there's a mechanical system for um how you might be received because of your various race and class and the other people's race and and then uh uh, based on the the die roll when the skill test comes, you there are different levels of re, of reaction available. It's not just a simple yes or no kind of a thing. Okay, so so we're we're past the hour mark. I want to give you a chance for sort of last thoughts. Any any last things uh, you guys want to say about the book that people should know about before we move on? I. I was so excited about this uh, uh, Adventures in Middle Earth. These two books for you know, the Middle Earth setting in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I'm I'm in my mid forties now. I think I've been looking forward to this since I was like eleven years old. <laughs> uh, so uh, and does, I, does this I, deliver? Well, that's what I was going to say. So although I've had my little nitpicks and criticisms, um, I really love the, the this book, both the books, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to playing it. Yeah, I would uh, I would follow up with what James said and just say, overall, this material is really, really good and uh, highly recommended. 
if somebody wants a Middle Earth experience, which is, again, going to be very, very different than your standard right. high fantasy 5e And as long as experience. you recognize that you're going to be telling uh, that, that it's all, all the information you have is in a very specific part of Middle Earth and a very specific time period. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's this is what it is. It's good at what it is. Uh, I wish the second book was twice as big, and, and I wish the stuff yeah. was coming out more frequently, but it's good. It's mm. quite good. Yeah, I would I would say my 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 opinion is is this this book is less essential than the than the than the than the player's guide uh and in in some cases poorly organized and a little bit disappointing even. Um if you if you've already been playing and running role playing games for 20 something years and you you bought the player's guide and you you already have a pretty good idea of what to do then I I would say you you don't necessarily need to get the lore master's guide, but if you're if you're still sort of scratching your head on uh, how exactly to run a game in Middle Earth, and and there's a, there's things in the player's guide that you don't understand, then then maybe look into getting this 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 book. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds like uh, some good last thoughts and gives people a lot to chew on here. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the uh, end of the episode. I want to thank our guest Jeff Wynn. Uh, other than the fantastic Appendix in podcast right here on this uh, feed, uh, where you check out all the classic uh, literature that inspired D&D in the original DMG written by Gary Gygax, uh, where else can people find Jeff Wynn? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N. Uh, and I recently launched a new podcast the sailor moon silver podcast celebrating the 25th anniversary of the classic anime bishoujo senshi sailor moon so you can find it on uh, itunes and give us a five-star review and send us an email uh after listening to the show there will be an email address uh email us follow us on twitter likes and subscribe all all the things so if you're interested in Sailor Moon, and I think there's some, I think there's some crossover between uh, D and D fans and uh, anime fans. There is. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to excite anybody too much. But there is a possibility. A possibility that we may have one of the designers of the Sailor Moon role playing game for Guardians of of Order uh, on our show in the in the near near future. Cool. Keep your fingers crossed. All right. My I, all of my fingers are crossed. <laughs> Uh, also with us, I want to thank uh, uh, Lewis Brenton. Where can people find you? Thank you for having you? me, man. I appreciate it. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Where can people find you if they want to talk to you? Uh, I pop up on various parts of the Tome Show Network at various times, most frequently over on Appendix N with Jeff Wynn. Uh, also, you can follow me at on Twitter at Rev Lewis Brenton, R-E-V-L-O-U-I-S-B-R-E-N-T-O-N. And I also write occasionally at lewisbrenton.com. There you go. And James Carruthers, I suckered you into this uh, into this uh, episode, so uh, I don't know if you have anything you want to promote or, or tell people where they can reach out to you, but if you do, now is the time to tell them about it. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, nothing to promote, um, and thank you again for having me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Right on. Well, uh, hopefully this is not the only time we hear you over here at the Tome Show. Uh, I, th- I think you, you performed admirably. 
Thanks. There you go. Uh, I also want to thank all of our listeners for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use uh, Amazon or DMs Guild and go to thetomeshow.com first. Uh, and I also want to, th- of course, thank our patrons that, that joined us over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. If you want to get a hold of anybody else that was on this episode or any other episodes, you can also email thetomeshow at gmail.com, and I will forward messages on as necessary. I, I play the role of host, producer, owner, and secretary for The Tome Show. Uh, you can also call The Tome Show's biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Uh, talking about whatever you want to talk about. I know Jeff Wynn's trying to get people to call up and talk about the books that they're reading on Appendix N. So what, what, are, you, what are you planning? What's, what's in, the, in the future of Appendix N that people should be looking out for? Uh, the next book we are reading is Carnelian Cube by L. Sprague de Camp. And uh, after that, we'll be reading uh, What Mad Universe by Frederick Brown. And uh, then we will be doing uh, The Dying Earth by Jack Vance, which inspired the Vancean mm, casting system, magic, yeah. the, the fire and, yeah, so fi- fire and fur- forget system. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Cool, so if yeah. you have any knowledge of any of those books, call, call The Tome Show. And at some point in, in the not horribly distant future, you'll actually get back into Middle Earth, right? Uh, yeah, we, we might be doing the Lord of the Rings by the end of this year or, or early next year. I mean, if you, we're, if, we're, if, you do, if you handle the Lord of the Rings in the same way you handled the Hobbit, once you hit the Lord of the Rings, that's all you're going to be talking about for at least a year, right? <laughs> I, I hope so. There are several months scheduled is what he's already got. Because you, you did three three episodes just on the Hobbit. I remember oh, that's, that. That's because... <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I went out and I bought uh, uh, the history of, of the Hobbit written written by um, this this awesome guy who just who just who just got so much material in, you know, uh, interviews with the with, with the Tolkien family and I mm. I found out in the in the liner notes that, that he, he he had design credits on third third edition Dungeons oh wow Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yeah I, I wish I had the book book in front of me because I can't, I can't I can't remember the author's name but it's it's the history of of the Hobbit, go look it up. Well, I'm sure you could it's a, turn. It's e- a great. Uh, as dense as they are, I'm sure you could turn each uh, book from the Lord of the Rings trilogy into uh, three episodes as well. So you got at least nine episodes just on on those books, right? Uh, probably six. I mean, each as you know, each each volume of the of the Lord of the Rings is 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 actually two two books. That's true. So there's they, there's, they do, there's they do six books that up, make yeah. up for the Lord of the Rings. Plus, there's the appendices. So, like maybe I could squeeze a seventh show out of out of that. I mean, I don't, I don't really want. You got to do a separate show for the here. appendices. Okay. All right. I mean, and and if uh, and if uh, each book, you could also do two episodes on each book, and then you get get uh, what is it? You get twelve out of it. James, if you if you give enough <laughs> money to uh, Patreon, then right. then we will squeeze out that seventh show. Oh, that's it. Right. Right. Oh man. Okay, challenge. now we're locked in. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and call that the end of episode 279, where we cowered under the reign of King Bard of Lake Town in this episode of.
I'm on the wall.